Thanks for listening to this message brought to you by Cornerstone Christian Church. For these and other great resources, please visit us at sparkswillfly.cc. Amen. Um, you may be seated right there. I'm going to and, and grab your Bibles. We're going to go to Matthew chapter 16. So how many is uh, excited to get in the Word of the Lord? I got a lot to go over this morning, and so I want you to help me. We got about... Um, uh, I, I won't be no more than what needed, but I got a lot of information, and I know that I'm probably not going to be able to drop all of it today. Okay, I'm fully aware of that. Also, Catherine, I want to say just a just a real big thank you for everything for last Sunday. Uh, it was really amazing. I enjoyed the video, the meal, and everything. And thank you so much for the gifts. Amen. So uh, let's uh, let's get right here, Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16, you there? I want to start reading in verse 13. Father, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for this day. We thank you for this opportunity right now to preach and to declare the infallible Word of God. Father, I pray that you would open up our ears to hear what is thus saith the Lord. Open our eyes to see. Father, let us see by the Spirit. Let us know the time and the hour, God, we're living in. Give us the anointing of the sons of Ezekiel that we may discern the times and the seasons that we're in. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. I... um, I want to read this text, but I, I really want to share with you, really, I feel like about, I don't know, in the last two or three weeks, that the Lord has kind of hit the pause button on, really, my thoughts and where I was headed and and just really looking over what, you know, just, just what the church is as a whole. When I preach in here this morning, um, I understand that I'm standing in Sparks, Georgia. I understand that, and I understand that I'm in Cornerstone Christian Church. But I want to talk about the church really as a whole, really where we're at, and where we're at as a nation. How many would say that we're at a critical point in this nation? And by no means am I talking about a political party. I'm neither Democrat nor Republican. I vote God's book. And I promise you, I probably got some things that's going to offend some people. But that's all. That's that's. I don't. I'm not. I'm not in here to look to offend anyone. I'm just saying that some kind of way in America, we got to get the pulpit back in the church. Hello. The issues that we're trying to get Washington D.C. to correct, like the foot of the church. And history will be shaped by our prayer life, either how much we pray or the lack thereof we pray. It is shaped by that. And see, I did say we're a blessed people, and I believe that, but I'm going to tell you something. You own the ether if you believe you're sitting in a blessed nation. The signs of a blessed nation, it is a lender, not a borrower. We have become a borrower. We're no longer a blessed nation. If you go to Walmart and you buy an article of clothing, the tag will tell you everything. Faded glory, we are fading faster than you and I 
then the twinkling of an eye, we are fading clean off the map. Meanwhile, the church in America has Sunday after Sunday, a Sunday school pulpit puppeteers. Come on, somebody, I came to preach. And we worried about our latest book sales instead of reaching the heart of humanity and preaching the uncompromised gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Boy, I feel the Holy Ghost in here. You say, well, preaching like this don't raise a church. No, but it raises people. And if we got sermons that's born in the head, we'll reach the head of humanity. But if we get sermons that are born in the womb of a man, we'll reach the tomb of man. Are you with me? So I come out the gate kind of hard. See, everybody just cut off the podcast right there. We can't can't bear to hear that. All right, so let's look at some things, okay? You know that I'm half ready right there just with my opening statement. All right, you ready? All right, and as I say, if you get through before I do, you can leave out the back door. You by no means offend me, okay? Listen to this. In Matthew 16, this is Jesus right here. It says, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So they said, some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah. Of, or one of the prophets, he said to them, But who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon, Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I say to you that you are Peter. And on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth, it will be loosed in heaven. Now, let me hold this translation you have here. I want to read these same verse of Scripture out of the... Uh, message translation because this is going to give us a clear understanding of what we're going to talk about this morning. I'm reading out of the message translation. If you don't have it, get it. It's amazing. Matthew 16 verse 13, the same scriptures out of out of um, the Passion Translation. When Jesus came to Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples this question. What are people saying about me, the Son of Man? Who do they believe I am? They answered, and some convinced, some are convinced that you're John the Baptist, John the Baptizer, or others say you're Elijah, Elijah, reincarnate, or Jeremiah, one of the prophets. But who do you say that I am? Jesus asked. Simon Peter spoke up and said, You are the anointed one, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, You are favored and privileged, Simon, son of Jonah, for you did not discover this on your own, but my Father in heaven has supernaturally revealed it to you. I give to you the name Peter, a stone, and this truth of who I am will be the bedrock foundation on which I will build my church, my legislative assembly. Look at this. And the power of death will not be able to overpower it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven of the kingdom realm, to forbid on earth, look at this, to forbid on earth that which is forbidden in heaven and to release on earth that which is released in heaven. 
My God, this is some powerful scriptures. Did y'all just not read what I read? Listen to this. In this truth as I will, I'll be the bedrock foundation of which I will build my church. What? My legislative assembly and the power of death will not be able to overpower it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of realm to forbid on earth that which is forbidden in heaven and to release on earth which is released in heaven. My God, that's a powerful set of scriptures. Now, Let's set this up. Now Jesus, if you take the account in Mark chapter 8, I believe is where it's found. Jesus actually goes on a 30 mile journey, round trip. Now let's let's keep in mind that Jesus didn't have a bus, he didn't have a van, and he didn't have a car. So they're on foot, donkey, camel, whatever they're going by transportation wise and they're 30 he goes 30 miles outside of his way to the place called Caesarea Philippi Caesarea Philippi laid at the foothills of Mount Hebron and it looked on the outside of a great place looked like it was a good place to lodge but on the inside was a very different place called Caesarea Philippi The rabbis knew how wicked this city was. It was more wicked than the Samaritan cities where Jesus forbade. Remember in Matthew 10 where he sends them out? He says, don't go to any city of Samaria. You remember this? Y'all with me? And so now Jesus is about to go to a city far more wicked than Samaria. And he takes his disciples to Caesarea Philippi. Now, many times in the Bible when Jesus is doing something, it doesn't give us the location or it doesn't give us the coordinates of where he's at. But in this particular text, Matthew gives us the exact locale of where they're hanging out. They're in Caesarea Philippi. And Jesus is looking at his disciples. Listen to me. He was at a crossroads with the men who was following whom he called out the twelve. Are you with me now? This is a lot of uneducated, blue collar, if you will. You with me now? Fishermen, uh, tax collectors, uh, only, only a couple educated like Luke was a physician. And these are the road dogs or the men that Jesus has with him called his disciples whom he would later call them apostles. This is his crew. He's about to give an illustrated message. How many knows this? You can hear a man preach, but if you can see it and hear it, you take way more away. He's about to give an illustrated sermon of what is a foundational stone that they must have to go to the next level in their relationship and in their identity and what their purpose is on the earth. Y'all stand with me. Someone said, my God, he's intense. I'm only halfway cranked up. So he takes them there. And he comes at the foothills, at the foothill of my Hebron. And as he is there in Caesarea Philippi, he said, whom do men say that I am? I want to know the language. I want to know the lingo. I want to know what's been said. What's the buzzword about me in the cities? And they said, well, some say that, some say that thou art John the Baptist. We, they believe you're John the Baptizer. Some say that you're Elijah. Some believe that you're, you're just one of the prophets. He said, all of that third, all of that second-hand information don't mean a dime to me. Who do you say that I am? 
At this point, no human being on the face of God's green planet had declared him to be who he was. But Peter is about to peer into the realm of the Spirit and see the man they call Jesus as who he truly is, the Son of the living God, the Anointed One, the Christ, the Christos, the Ruler, the Reigner. Come on, somebody. Ah, my God. Peter looks into the eyes of Jesus and he said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. He said, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this unto you, but my Father which is in heaven. And upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I've heard this preached all of my life. I've heard tons of sermons on upon this rock, and people preached that they were talking about Catholicism, where upon, upon Peter they were going to build the church. It has nothing to do with Peter. It had everything to do with the revelation of who he saw Jesus, who he was. He said, upon this rock of revelation. And when Jesus said that, he wasn't looking at Peter and he wasn't looking at the twelve. He was looking at the location and the scene in which he had his disciples. For they were right at the foothills. And he was looking at that mountain with the in-carved images of the false gods in that land. I came to preach up in here. I don't care if you came to hear it or not. I'm preaching through you. I'm preaching through you this morning. He said, upon this rock, that rock, all of those false ideologies, all of that leftist and radical agenda, it shall not prevail against my holy anointed son of the living God. I've heard it said, I've quoted it myself in ignorance. I heard it said that man was created to worship God. How many believe that man was created to worship God and to spend eternity worshiping God? Raise your hand if you believe that. Raise your hand. If that's man's, how many believe in this room man's chief existence is to worship God? That's the problem we have. That's not what the Bible says. God never needed a man to worship him. He had all the beings to worship him. you got to go back to the beginning. I'm not trying to be a smarty pants here, but I'm trying to correct some views that we got in the church. This is how evil is prevailing all in our society. Leonard Ravenhill wrote about it years ago. He said, he said men are hunting mice while lions are devouring our children in the streets. I can tell you that's happening right here in your streets of America. Lions are snatching our kids out left and right. Meanwhile, we in here singing, Kumbaya, come Lord, pray for revival. And nothing is happening in the church in America. America. Man's chief priority is not to worship God. God had all of the seraphims, angels in heaven, everything he needed to worship him. If we go back to the beginning, God said in Genesis chapter 2, that we know in Genesis 1 that he created male and what? Female, all in one being when he created them. Y'all with me now? Come, some of you look shocked when I made a statement like that. The Bible said He created what them, male and female, both in one creation. Eve was on the inside of Him. Come on, somebody. That's how when He was put to sleep, He pulled Eve out. Where inside of Him? He created them. Then what did the Bible says? He created a garden, right? And he created all the beasts and he created this garden. And then he gives the role of mankind. He left mankind to do what? Tend 
to his business. Can we establish that here without having me having to go right and just read it straight out the Bible? It's in Genesis chapter 2. All right? About the first eight verses. Down to verse 15. Excuse me. Thank you, Holy Ghost. So he creates mankind to what? Rule and reign over his business. What is his business? The earth. We got people wanting to know, well, why does this happen? Why does that happen? I'm out here on a limb right here. Let me, I would say, say, well, you know, how could that happen if God is in control? I would suppose to you this morning that God is not in control. He's in charge. There's a whole lot of difference between in control and charge. People getting bothered now. He's trying to say God ain't in control. The Bible says, your Bible says in Psalms 115 that the earth he's given to the sons of men. Who did he give it to? Us. To what? Rule and reign over the earth. Look at what we've done with it. You say, well, I believe God is 100% in control. Well, let me ask you this. Jesus said, I pray that it's not my will that any should perish, but all come to the understanding of the knowledge of the truth that Jesus Christ is the Son of the living God. How many believe there's people perishing? Why are they perishing? Because you and I are not doing our job. All right, let's go on. I knew it was going to get awful quiet. I'll probably get voted out this evening, but praise God we got somewhere to preach Thursday anyhow. Listen to this. You know I'm cutting up. All right. Listen to this. Who am I? Who am I as a Christian? First of all, we have got to, let, let me just look at this. When man gets a small glimpse into the total rulership of Christ, he stands at a new threshold for understanding. His own purpose on the earth. Christ not only possesses all authority, but he also bestows it. All right, now, listen to what Jesus said in verse 18. I will build my church. Now we are doing a lot of building of what we call the church. But let me tell you something. How many believe that Jesus died for what we see right here? If you believe that. You believe it. Our role of church, and one of the things, listen to me. I'm not trying to be a smarty pants here. I'm trying to help us. I'm I'm trying to help myself and I'm trying to help you. When Jesus said, I will build my church, he was not talking about the Sunday morning gathering that you and I are used to. The problem with is we are mis... This is not a poor translation in the Bible. This is an absolute mistranslation in the King James. If you read the original Greek, he said, I will build my, my what? Ecclesia. That is the only thing that Jesus is building. Man is building a lot. But what the kingdom of God and what God's anointing and His Spirit is resting on is building His ecclesia. Oh, Lord, I'm going to have to pull us out here. I feel like y'all just sinking into the... Hold up, Seth, right here. Hold up just a second. Hold up. Just hold up right here. Jesus said, I will build what? My church, my ecclesia. What is the ecclesia? The ecclesia is not an assembly of God's people. That is called a, That is not what Jesus is building. What Jesus is building is a governmental legislative body of people that walk in the rulership and the authority that Christ has bestowed upon their lives. Now let me ask you something. If Jesus said in the Bible that we read this morning that evil should never prevail over this ecclesia, did he not say that? 
He said that evil did not have a chance to prevail over against the ecclesia. Then my question is, why do we see America in the shape it is in this morning? With churches on every corner of every city, but yet we are seeing evil prevail in society. Why is it? Because we are not operating out of our identity as an ecclesia. We have settled for religion and Sunday school mentality of what the local church is. The ecclesia is a threat to every corrupt government, drug lord dealer, rebellious king, and every other part of wickedness in society. The ecclesia is equipped with the weapons that God has left us to do with. Paul said, know this, that your weapons are not what carnal, but are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, tearing down fortresses. You know how, how I know we're in a mess. When we see the lighthouse, the White House lit up in rainbow colors, from the President of the United States of America after the Supreme Court ruled on the sanction of what marriage is. Oh God. The Bible says, I don't care what your political party says, I say what the Bible says. The Bible says that marriage is between one man and one woman and that's what God honors. I don't care what the state recognizes. I said what God recognizes to be holy unto him. So where was the pulpit? We were still singing our latest, greatest worship songs and nothing was happening and there was nobody perturbed by what just took place. Well, I heard preachers say, well, you know, that's just the world being the world. We, we serve a three, uh, uh, you know, the, the, the government is not theocratic, they're democratic. But I read in my Bible where the, the church should have influence on the world in which it's in. But I don't know about you, but what I'm realizing in little old Sparks, Georgia, that this community is, is infected the church instead of the church infected the community. When my son comes home and tells me one of the largest clubs in the high school is the Gay Straight Alliance, come on somebody. Where's the youth groups in this community? Where's the gospel being preached? There's an answer for that. His name is Jesus. We don't hear this. We don't hear this. You know why? Because this doesn't promote book sales. This doesn't promote doors being opening for you. This doesn't promote you to get promote you to get called to come run revival. Now let's look at this. Isaiah chapter six. Let's look at this. Y'all right? Somebody pray for me. Someone said, "My God, we got to pray for this man." All right. 
I want to get into some other stuff right here in a minute. And I'm going to show you where we're at in this nation. Isaiah chapter 6. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of His robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphims. Each one had six wings. Two he covered with his face, and with two he covered with his feet. And with the two he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. And the post of the door where... where that were shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. So I said, Woe is me, look at this, for I am undone because I'm a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. I sent a message out. I think this was on Monday or Tuesday. I, was, I had to ride for a while in my truck and I was listening to a podcast. And I hadn't listened to one in probably, I don't know, it was at least five months before I listened to a podcast prior to this one. And I listened to this podcast and I heard this man preaching and I sent it out and said, this is probably one of the most powerful messages I've ever heard. And he was preaching from this text and one thing that he brought out. See, you and I dwell in a land of a people with unclean lips. And what happened is, is, is he did not realize where he had gotten until he had got in the presence of God. I think a lot of times, you and I, when we come to the presence of God, there is a prescribed way to enter into the holies. Even though the old tabernacle doesn't exist anymore, there's still a prescribed way. And the priest would walk up to the brazen laver with the mirrored bottom. And one of the things that the brazen laver would reveal is it would reveal where he was at. Some of you, I think a lot of times, we don't even realize where we're at anymore. Come on, how many know that's possible? You remember when Nathan rebuked David and he told him the story of a rich man that came to town and he took the lamb of the only man that, that had one lamb and the rich man took it and David didn't realize who that man was? A lot of times we don't realize where we're at until we have a real encounter with God or get into the deep presence of God. And this is what he was saying. He was talking about dwelling in the land and causing it to have an effect on his life. And he said, God, I am a man of unclean lips because I'm dwelling in the land of unclean lips. Now, I was sitting down one afternoon in my house and my son, my Asher, our youngest one, was watching TV. And he was watching a little show called Loud House. How many have seen that? Nickelodeon, raise your hand. Well, I'm watching Loud House, and he's watching Lincoln Loud, and I'm just sitting there reading or something. I wasn't watching Lincoln Loud. And then I got to looking that Lincoln's little buddy had what? Two dads. Well, pastor, that's just a little old Nickelodeon. What they're telling you, friend, as I'm telling you, is they're injecting you shot after shot. Please accept our agenda. How can 3%? My God, I about want to get ugly right here. How can 3% of this nation who is gay and homosexual have such a loud microphone? Where is the church? Where is the church in America? 
I'll tell you where she's at. She's in book sales getting rich. She's hanging out at conferences every week making more money by the dimes a dozen and making no kind of difference. That's where she's at. Here's what I do know. Before heaven I'll be judged. I'll stand before God as his shepherd and say, Son, did you tell the people? Did you tell the people? Did you tell the people? Did you tell? We got preachers that won't even preach on tithing and wonder why the people stay broke. Why don't you preach God's standard of giving and break poverty off of your people? When you pull away, when you pull away the design that God created for marriage, you have destroyed that model. And you have unleashed hell on the society in which you have done. On the abortion issue in the church, most men will never tackle that issue. And we herald, let me tell you how far we've gone as a nation. I don't care. Listen, I'm not running for nothing, okay? Listen, and we got Oprah Winfrey that comes to the state of Georgia to stand and lobbyist on behalf of a candidate and said to support her when she just released out of her own magazine, which are making a document, documentary on this, on Shout Your Abortion. How joyful it makes the women feel. Do you find that in your statistics? How many women are in depression? How many women have took their own lives when they realize they have aborted the life that God gave them inside the womb? You say, well, this is where the church, the church is afraid to jump on the political issues because we're afraid we'll lose our 501c tax status. But let me tell you this. I believe what Rod Parsley said years ago. If the government takes the tax status away, God's going to make sure the house of God who herald his message has got more money than they need to. I don't care if syrup goes to $10 a sop. God will make sure I got $20 in my pocket to get a sop for me and a sop for somebody else. God will always take care of his man and his own and his mouthpiece. I don't care if you're living in a brook like Elijah laid up by the river brook. He'll cause that raven to swoop down in Jezebel's house and snatch that steak up and bring it down there half rare like you like it and be able to eat it. God will provide for his people. Why do we allow this spirit to push us? All right, I got to go on. All right, we got to repent. From our current perspective, the word repent doesn't mean to come down here and cry, although that's in it. Godly repentance, I mean, godly sorrow does lead men to repent, but we got to repent. Repent means change the way you think. Let me show you a picture of repentance. A woman gets pregnant with a baby, she goes and aborts it. But then next time she gets pregnant, she realizes she's carrying the life of God on the inside of her. And she totes it to full term. Listen this, church growth. This is church growth in America. Listen this. In the year 2000, there were 600 mega churches in this nation. 600, what, what is determined mega churches? Thousands gather. 600 in this nation By the, in 2000. Right here currently, there are 1,642 right now in this nation. But yet a, turn, a, a t- church attendance has fallen from 41% to 36% over that time frame. Which gives a false reality of how much the kingdom is growing in this nation. 
You just heard Parsley preach in this church that Christianity is not the number one religion in this country anymore. It is Muslim. But yet Jesus said, Jesus said, I just want to just shock the hound out of us right here. I was listening to a message from years ago by Benny Hinn, and he said this powerful statement. He said the church believes there's power in prayer, and this is what he said, there's absolutely no power in prayer. Look at you. Your face is just like mine. I said, what did he say? I backed it up. He said, there's absolutely no power in prayer. If that was the case, we would see massive revival where the Jews are welling at the wall. Muslims pray every day, drop the carpet in the convenience store and go to pray where you don't interrupt them while they burn their incense. There's absolutely no power in that. Where the power lies is in the spirit of the living Christ. This is the same way with the word of God. The letter killeth, but, but the spirit gives life. What makes that word infallible, irreprutable, uh, 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 what makes it stand the test of time is it's the word married to the Spirit. You with me? All right. So what, what gives us this false reality is because megachurches is moving, but church attendance is falling down. And the median size of churches in America is 70 people. Now let's look at this verse of Scripture right here. Y'all all right? Look at your neighbor and say, I'm all right. I'm going to make it. I'm going to live. Praise God. All right. All right. Proverbs 27, 23. Be diligent to know the state of your flocks. Look at this. This is to the shepherds. This is God's people. This is also your business leader, whatever you at the head of your household. You better be diligently to your children. You better watch over them. Know what's going on. Come on, somebody. Know what's going on. There's a line waiting right now outside the door. Just go to sleep at the wheel and see what happens. You better be intentional with everything you do. I told Grant, I said, every week I'm going to go through your phone. I said, first of all, it ain't your phone. It's my phone. I believe I paid a bill. You said, my God, what kind of, what kind of, I'm a, I'm a father. My job is to train and equip and get up in your life. You don't got a room in my house. I'll lend you a room in my house. Steward it well. Hello. This is old school mentality, but I'm telling you something. You now I give them everything. But did, let me tell you something. You give your child everything when they want it, what you tell them is there's no waiting period. Let me translate that to raising boys. If you give them what they want when they want, then he doesn't know that he has to wait on anything. So that's why when he gets Miss Purdy out on his own, he don't understand what the meaning of wait is. But if as a dad you make him wait and earn something, come on somebody, he knows that there's a time period. Huh? I guess, I'm, I guess this, is, this is holiness one-on-one. But I'm telling you, there should be a stark contrast difference from the Bagley household and the neighbor that don't know God. Hello! I said there should be a stark contrast in my household to the heathen that lives next to me. If my house looks like him, why does he want what I got? I don't have social media, but I get on there from time to time. And I'll tell you this, as a shepherd of this house, I'm blown away what some of you put on Facebook. 
That tells me you're not in the Word of God. You're not in the presence of God. Or you wouldn't post that. Man, it's quiet up in here. Dusty, get, get my keys, get the truck running. It's going out there. When I sit there, and there's a liquor bottle in the background, I go to God and say, God, what in the world is in my life that I can't preach and call somebody to want to walk away from something like that? Who hear me preach? There was a guy that I went to work that used to work with. He told me this. He said, he said, I've been going to church for two years and ain't gave my life to God. Let me tell you something. That's not an indictment on him. That's an indictment on the preacher that he's listening to preach the gospel. How can we sit in the house of God and hear the word of God preach and there be no conviction? Oh man. I got I gotta get right here. I gotta land this plane. I done hit too many. Catherine's over there nervous as I'll get out. Let me, let me, I'm fitting to make it real good. Listen to this. Know the condition of your flocks. Give careful attention to your, to your, to your herds. So where is if, if we were looking at the church, where would it be? Where would the condition of the church be? Where are we at? You gotta know where you're at to move forward. Where are we at right now? Let me just give you a clue where we're at. I love this headline right here. 90% of pastors agree, but 90% of pastors won't. More than 90% of these theological conservative pastors agree the Bible addresses specific issues facing Christians today such as abortion, same-sex marriage, gambling, immigration, and so forth. But only 10% are willing to address the issues that they admit that the Bible address. You got one party screaming out, you're a racist. If you vote Republican, you're an absolute racist. You vote not because you're a white male. Let me tell you something. The Bible, God does not address, He does not address um, race, color, ethnicity, ethnicity he calls us the human race we just happen to be black yellow red and white if you see color you're bound with a political spirit and you are racist three republican senators that are herald every night on the local news as being racist have fought for the last six years to get Margaret Singer, Singer, ain't that right? Stuff out of the Smithsonian because what she has done of her views that she said black folk were weeds in society that needed to be weeded out. So 90% believe that the Bible addresses this. Here's what God addresses. He addresses His people, the godly and the ungodly. Don't matter skin color.
And the issue, let's, I'm, I'm just going to get out there and be real. Hold on just a second. I'll, I'll bite that off in a minute. That's too much of a shocker right here for lunch. Hold on. You all right? Listen to this. They are concerned about, listen, why, why we won't preach? We're concerned about being seen as political, not wanting to risk the loss of numbers, of people, or donations. Concerned about the status of the church's nonprofit. Conservative churches has, have a biblical mandate to teach these things, but are choosing to ignore the opportunity in favor of remaining safe. Listen to this. When millennials and others describe Christian churches as irrelevant, they are not talking about the style of music, the dress code, as much as they are attacking the focal point of church services, the teaching. These days, people value their time too highly to invest in hearing lectures on topics that do not inter- intersect with their life and questions and daily struggles. Not to knock us, but what we preach in revival. People got to hear how to make it from A to B. The heck with revival. How do I make it from point A to point B? How do I get my kid off of drugs? How do I get my husband from looking at porn every night? How do I make it, preacher? God, I'm not mad. I'm trying to help us, friend. Please understand me. Y'all with me in this place this morning? How can I just make it, preacher? You know what I know? Because the last two services I've stood in here in worship, you know what the main thing I heard? Hope. We just got to have hope. How many say I just need some hope right here this morning? Raise your hand. Stick your hand up if you just need hope right here. Come on, hold your hand up high. Just see God's force. He's not against me. See what you and I have as we now have been thrust in this battle because it's our watch. It's our watch, Miss Katie. This is our watch. This is the period we're called into the game. I can't help and what I can't help and I can't help that the that the that the that the offense before me fumbled. I fumbled a hundred times. But you and I are where we're at now. We cannot afford to fumble the ball or we're gonna lose this nation. I, I don't even have 20 people in this room, I believe, that agree with that statement I just said. If we fumble the ball this time, we will lose this nation. Your sons and daughters are going to be wearing little Chinese garments because that's who's going to own this nation. We're looking at the TV and one of them, China's, China's looking at us every day talking about them poor little Americans right there. We own everything they got. Where was the church when a presidential administration so disrespected Israel? We didn't hear a word from it. But yet God says, you bless this people and I'll bless you. You curse them and I'll curse you. Well, Trump's a fascist, a bigot, and a racist. The most pro-Israel president we have ever had in the nation of this country and then when the Jews got killed in Pennsylvania it's heralded as he caused it to happen well I'm, I'm going to have a one of the kind message on Sunday morning 
Listen to this. At least 70% of Congress and theological servant churches say there are 14 different topics they want their pastors to address. This is the, this was George Barnard Research Company said this. This is what they want their, to hear their preacher say. 91% says something on abortion. Just educate us. Religious persecuting, persecution and liberty. Poverty, personal duty, church role, government role. Cultural restoration. Sexual identity is same-sex marriage, 82%. Israel, 80%. Christian heritage of America, 79%. The proper role of government, 76%. Self-government, self-governance, 76 The church in politics, 73 Islam, 72 The media, 70%. Senior citizens and the end-of-life issues, 70%. Listen to this. Despite the extremely high desire of parishioners to hear about these issues from the pulpit, only 6% of pastors address as many as six of those topics. And only a half address the two easiest ones of abortion and same-sex marriage. Furthermore, the number of pastors addressing these topics has fallen by half since 2014. The Bible-believing church is rapidly growing silent about the culture and the relevancy of God's Word to it. Now let me ask you something. What are you going to do because this is where we're headed, right here. We could be there in the next four years by the outcome of this, by the outcome of this governor's race. What are you going to do when your child comes home from elementary school and they hand you the manual and the pamphlet that says how you accept homosexuality and homosexual marriage? Hello. Because we're not living in California, we're living in Georgia, we think that none of these issues even matter. Do you know that in the state of California, there's legislation right now that me as a pastor, if a woman comes in to my office to receive counsel, and I counsel her against, and I counsel her and I said that God, God, you do not have to choose to be a homosexual. If I give her counsel, I can be arrested because I told her that she was not what she thought she was. If you would have told my grandfather we'd have been dealing with the issues that we're dealing with today, he would have laughed you to scorn. Just as much as he would have told him you'd have paid $2 for a bottle of water in this grocery store, he would, he would laugh in your face. But yet it is upon us. The two candidates for Georgia, one is promised to be the most pro-life governor in Georgia's history. The other one is promised to release and loosen the laws so that Medicaid can fund uh, and to fund abortion. And there is one right now, probably shouldn't put it out, but I am. There's one coming to Macon, Georgia. Let that person get in the governor's office. It's coming right in your back door. We'll be killing babies left and right in this state. One has promised to be the most liberal when it comes to the LGBT, LGBT community. Meanwhile, oh, we love you, Lord. Oh, let revival come. Oh, let revival come, God. Oh, let revival come. Meanwhile, we further down the track, further down the track till somebody screams out and says, My God, where are we? Meanwhile, we got dads asleep. And I'm not beating us up. I'm talking about me. Sign me up. I'm the first one. We got dads asleep at the wheel. We get caught up in our children's lives, making them baseball stars, beauty queens, and everything else. And we're neglecting the main foundation, which serve God with all your heart. 
Don't matter how many accolades he gets on the ball field, if he if I go and I'm privileged to go to Cooperstown, New York, and hear his Hall of Fame speech, it doesn't mean nothing in eternity. All right. Listen to this. So what is success? What is success, young preacher? What's success, young preacher? I'm fixing to read it to you right here. All right. Success is the top five measurements of success in America. Church attendance. How many are you running? How many you got? Every year we go to camp meeting. How many you got? How many you running, Danny? Last I looked, you had about 600 on row. How many you running? The Falcons is going to run about 45,000 a day. But they ain't making a hill of difference. Oh, my God. Listen to this. How many are running? Dollars donated. Number of programs offered. The number of staff people hired. And the square footage of the facilities for ministry use. Jesus did not die to fill auditoriums, raise money, offer religious programs, or hire employees, and build more extravagant campuses. If he had, these would be the perfect measure of success in church. Jesus died and came to the earth that he might destroy the works of the devil. I'm done right here. I'm on the closing remarks, okay? That just means we're approaching the airport. Put your seatbelt on. We're still flying at 30,000 right here, but I'm fit to land the plane. You look at this. I watched the interview with Bill Johnson, and I got it recorded. And this is what he said. He said, if you study America, the churches where, where, where church tendency is the highest, crime is not affected. Divorce rate is not affected. The homosexual agenda is not affected. So we, it would, wouldn't it behoove us to sit back and look and say, Maybe that's not the answer. You remember if you were a Georgia fan when Georgia had the ball on the one-yard line and it took them six plays and they never got in. Wouldn't you just sitting there, we on sitting there thinking, wouldn't it behoove him to run a different play? I'm just asking you, with the issues that we're facing, would not it behoove us to sit back as clergy and leadership in America and say maybe we should make a, take a different approach to this. Maybe we should realize that what we're pouring our energy into in the build is not going to stand anyhow. The number one place you can plant. Where's the number one place you can plant? You ready to hear it? Is in the life of someone else. Because when you're dead and gone, that is the only way you're going to talk. So you invest yourself in the people and those around you. Now I'm fixing to finish right here. Listen to this. Only 6% of Americans have a major life goal of being a better Christian. Only 2% have a better, only 2% have a goal of having a better relationship. And only 2% going to heaven. Personal evangelism is dying. Few Christians, including 39% of born-again Christians, feel a responsibility to share Christ with others. In fact, more than a half of Christians have never heard of the Great Commission. 
Jesus' direct charge to his followers was to share biblical faith and teachings with others. Consequently, 45% of adults were born again in 2006. Today, that number has plummeted to 31%. And the younger the generation, the lower the percentage who have a personal relationship with Jesus. The basic theological beliefs of America's born-again Christians are particularly troubling. Half believed Jesus sinned while he was on earth. Listen to this. Half of Christians believe Jesus sinned while he was on earth. More than half believe the Bible does not contain absolute moral truths. 60% believe someone can earn his way to heaven by being good. 62% do not share faith with others. 67% believe people can go to heaven without Jesus. Of course, the Bible teaches the opposite of all of these. I'm done right here. Listen. The classic line used by many pastors for not addressing biblical issues such as protecting unborn life and supporting woman, uh, supporting, supporting man-woman marriage is I just preach Jesus. I just preach Jesus. The implication is if you preach on biblical truths that apply to the daily personal and national life, you are not preaching Jesus. Friend, I'm just telling you this. That as I found as... As, as a couple, and I, I do not know this guy, but I can tell you this. I loved a couple of things, and you can't measure a man by what he writes on the internet or posts a couple of posts. But this is one thing it says. What we have got to stop doing is gathering around to hear just a man preach and learn how to engage life with one another where iron sharpens iron and true relationships are built and we are challenged to grow in our life in God. Do we not all agree with that? And so for the next focus of my life for the next year, I'm going to focus on how to go deeper in God and how to deepen and widen my relationships that I have. I want to be known when I leave for having an impact on my society. Do you realize, I want to say this is, this is a low statistic, but 75% of our kids that will go to college a university such as UGA, University of Florida, or anywhere else like that, over 75% will leave the Christian faith to never return because of the ideologies that your professors are pushing on you every single day. How do you know that? When Catherine was in college, she come home and she said, this is what my professor said today, and I need to know how to defend it because they're schooled in undermining what you believe in God. Let me tell you the number one way to let, let me tell you the number one way to do it right here. When they got when you can't go toe to toe on a religious debate, and Paul found this and 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 at his at Mars Hill encounter, he realized he couldn't debate with them, the great debaters. And then he stuck with this. He said, I didn't come with men's enticing words. When I get somebody that stumped me, I just sit right here. That's when I say, Okay, then, let's throw down. You show me what you you demonstrate your God, and I'll demonstrate mine. Bring me somebody demon-possessed and bring me the sick healing. Let's roll with it. Because yours is still asleep and he's dead. You with me now? But mine is alive forevermore and he sits at the right hand of the Father. Church, I'm not coming here to beat us up. If you know me, you know that my main gift is encouragement. But sometimes we got to have crosshairs or a mark painted to realize how far we've gotten off. And we have got to refocus on what our main thing is. Our main thing is to make an impact and a difference in society. We cannot cave into the issues. They're not going to go away. 
John, do you believe they're going to go away if we go home and just hide in the corner? They're not going away. They're coming at a, at a fast pace. You understand that, right? They're stoked and ready to come at a fast pace. And this millennial generation is unlike any we've ever seen. And we've created them by giving to them, helping them just go live your life, and here's plenty of money to go do it. That's why they're running, tearing statues down, beating walls and left and right. That's why they got to have, that's why they got to have teddy bears to rub on when things don't go their way. I'm not trying to be old school on you, but my daddy didn't put up with that. Time out was how long you got knocked out. My daddy didn't say things to cut up. He told me one time, he said, cut the grass. I cut the front yard and the sides and left the backyard. The following morning when I woke up, I realized when he said cut the grass, that means everything from the highway to the fence post. And we need everything in between. But do that today. Try that parenting model today. Defects come to your house. Stand up. I can't, I can't do no more. Y'all had all you can take. I understand. <laughs> How me feel good? Hey, we ain't lost but 30 people I've been preaching. That is amazing. <laughs> all right. Raise your hands. Let me bless you. Father, I thank you for this people. I thank you, Lord, for this church. I thank you for this great nation. Lord, you planted me in this nation. And Father, I'm so grateful. I love America. I love everything about this nation. Lord, I love this nation. I am proud to be an American. I have been on the foreign soil, and I can say thank God that I was born in this country. I love it, Father. Father, I thank you that you love it. And you love this whole entire globe. And Father, help us to realize that, Father, we are born again, Bible-toting, devil-dumping, pew-jumping, armed and dangerous, mighty women of God in this room. We have a call and we have a purpose. We declare that you are Lord over our schools, over our community, over our state, and over our nation. Father, we declare this morning that you are Lord over our community, our family, our nation, our state. And Lord, I thank you that we will be about the Father's business. I will win those, Lord that are lost. I will tell of your glorious gospel and your amazing grace to me, Father. Help us to be evangelists in this room. Help us, God. Lord, I pray we need your mercy. We need your grace. If your people will humble themselves and call upon your name and turn from our wicked ways, we shall hear from heaven and you shall heal our land. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message. For more exciting content, visit our website at sparkswillfly.cc and connect with us on social media.